Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Airshow Review Podcast, the podcast we started because we had no airshows to review. With me today are Ian Garfield, Ian G on the forum, Tom Jones, Tommy on the forum. I actually forgot to introduce myself there, <laughs> Sam Wise, okay, we're Sam24. And actually with us as well as a very special guest today, um, as many of our listeners will know, Tim Prince was one of the original founders of what was in 1971 the Embassy Air Tattoo, along with the late Paul Bowen. And until 2014, he was the CEO of the RAF Charitable Trust Enterprises, Riyadh's parent charity. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that he was instrumental in making the show what it has become today. So, Tim, thank you very much for coming on the show to chat with us today. Hello, guys, and hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Yes, thank you. So, I thought maybe we would start off with a a biggie. Obviously, next year in 2021, Riyadh will be celebrating its 50th anniversary. How does it feel that an air show that essentially you and a mate started in the early 70s is going to hit this enormous milestone? (laughs) Uh, To be fair, there were a few more of us involved than just Paul and myself. Um, I was a lowly, uh, if you like, ops officer um, helping run the whole thing. Um, But there were quite a few of us. But clearly Paul and I stayed all the way through. Um, How do I feel? Um, I feel very old. You can believe it's (laughs) Who can believe it was 50 years ago that um, I was uh, persuaded to go and uh, play around in someone else's control tower? You know, I had a good one to play in anyway at Boscombe Down, uh, which was a fantastic place in, in those days with lots going on, three runways in use and all that, completely out of my depth. Um, and then to go and play in another one was quite special. So 50 years, yeah, it's amazing. And um, look how it's grown, isn't it great? And so many people have helped it grow which is the really nice thing. Since you've gone, how do you feel that it has, has grown? Has it done, I say, better than you thought? Are you, are you happy with how <laughs> people have, have taken over? How can I be happy handing over my train set <laughs> to somebody else? Um, what do I think of it? I think it's wonderful that it's, I can see it's still going. It's not going this year, but we all know why. Horrible problems. Um, I think it's wonderful that the team are still enthusiastic and uh, there's that magic in the Brits who, in the main it's Brits running it, who just want to achieve the impossible. Um, It's nice that there's been someone who knows a bit more about moving the money around uh, with marketing background with um, Andy Armstrong. I mean, he took what have been built up over the years, which was basically a couple of blokes who liked aeroplanes and building up that great big train set. But he was able to spin a lot more from it, which was very important because the whole thing's charity based um, and he's made lots of money. um, And it's, yeah, it's a good, strong team. There's still the spirit within the team, which is which is excellent. Do you, do you still go each year or do you try and uh, make some form of attendance? Um, I still get a free ticket, yes. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> right. I, I would imagine um, that's the, the bare minimum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the deal with my wife, who I married uh, in the December after the first air show, and uh, she was involved as a volunteer uh, from 72 to about, I think it was 77, um, on the air crew side, which made me very nervous, all these handsome air crew coming through, (laughs) my my new wife there. But my deal with her was that um, given that she's been a sort of an air to two widow uh, for 
43 years it was when I stopped, that probably I'd step aside completely um, and just let the train go by and, and somebody else enjoy it. Uh, but I was asked when um, I did stand down whether I'd be, you know, still be involved, lend my name to it. So um, I was offered the position of an honorary vice patron, which means I didn't get paid anymore. So I started as a volunteer and I've ended up as a volunteer. <laughs> um, so I go along there. Well, in fact, I, I, I spend a fair bit of time doing all sorts of things throughout the year. Um, clearly, I've got lots of friends who help run the, the show, whether it's permanent staff uh, or volunteers. So I still keep in touch and have lots of beers and lunches and whatever to find out how it's going and maybe sometimes offer advice. Um, because I've still, my way of operating was very much like an air trafficker. You write very little down, you, you work it all out in your head. So I still knew where the, the stapler was and the, the hole puncher when people couldn't find it at the public <laughs> part of the house. <laughs> so I, I, I still get involved quite a bit on, on that front. Um, showtime, uh, I go along and I spend normally three days walking the site, going to all the volunteer departments just to... Um, soak up the atmosphere again because I miss it you know I miss it terribly mm. um, but go and see my old chums and they probably think here comes that old fart again <laughs> you know why doesn't he retire but I go and see them and then I spend um, a couple of days hosting in the patrons pavilion and or, or taking I mean this last year I took Prince Michael of Kent for a tour round to meet some of the volunteers mm. which was lovely um, and then on the Sunday as well as doing uh, hosting um tables and people in the patrons I because I'm also a, a vice patron of the oh sorry yeah vice patron of the flying scholarships for the disabled um, sure. I take part in that ceremony ceremony and this year I <laughs> as a, a junior prince I stood in for Prince Faisal to do the prize giving <laughs> for the those lucky um, students who uh, are lucky scholars who managed to get that either got their wings or they've just been awarded a scholarship so I'm still very much involved um, uh, but I had to be very, very, very careful not to be an, as I say, an old fart, interfering old <laughs> fart. Um, so I tend to do things when asked rather than okay. offer my advice all the time. You take take the man from Riyadh, but not the Riyadh from the man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, one of the very nice things um, that the whole that you, you understand the the whole of the air to two works. Uh, some nice aeroplanes come along, which is great, but it runs because of people whether they're the people flying the aeroplanes or whether it's the bloke who runs the sludge gulper to keep the loos refreshed or whether it's the air trafficker <laughs> the, volunteers the sludge gulper the honey wagon before. so it, it, it's the people that, that make the whole thing um, go with a swing and um, it's that side of it that's so important to me to sort of stay in touch with that mm. you, you asked a question then I've just my brain's just stopped I forgot what the actual question was whether you, you whether you went every year? <laughs> oh no, I thought you asked for that one. I was going to ask if, obviously, you've clearly still been very involved with it. But do you think you've gained a, a, a sort of outsider's perspective of the show, having been in, in on the inside for so long now? Oh yes, because uh, in the good old days, I thought it was the centre of the world. Just when I sat at my radar tube at Boscombe Down and the middle of where the the scan went round that was the centre of the world and I was in charge of it when I was talking to aeroplanes and when I you know, moved into the Air to Two full time everything revolved around North Wheel, Greenham Common and uh, Boscombe Down sometimes when I went back there to, <laughs> with, with the team to run a show 
or at Fairford. Um, so, yeah, I just remember what that question was that you had asked about um, doing. Uh, my successor, Andy Armstrong, I'd said to him one of the most, most important things that he should be doing when the team are around is getting out there and seeing them and, and saying thank you. And I said one of the things that um, since Paul had died I haven't been able to do is actually get to the um, heads of the Air Forces to say thank you. Showtime uh, okay. in the past when I was the chief executive there, okay, everybody was running the show for me. I just took the, the praise for it at the top. Mm. But actually, I was quite busy, um, so I rarely got to see the chiefs. Andy, uh, I think quite wisely, said, well, would I be prepared to go out round Europe and visit each year a few of the chiefs to say thank you? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've been to Turkey, I've been to Poland, I've been to um, Greece, I've been to Bulgaria, um, do sort of four or five each year. Yeah, that's actually... And amazing... Amazingly, the chiefs uh, are prepared to give me an hour. They can't understand why I've come. <laughs> when I say I've just, <laughs> when I say that I've come to say thank you, because they're as much a part of the Air to Two organisation you know, as the sludge gelper driver. Being blunt about it, they're mm -hmm. all an important ingredient. Mm -hmm. um, and we sit there, and they, in the main, they love the fact they're not having to talk about budgets and my MiG-29 doesn't work very well, I can't get the spares, and, you know, somebody's pregnant now, and uh, so we've lost them for God knows how long. Um, I hope I can say that still. Um, nowadays, you've got to be so careful what you say, haven't you? Um, so we talk air shows and flying airplanes, and they love it, and they love it. Um, yeah. And when I leave there, I tend to leave on an absolute high because the praise they heap on me which I can then pass on to the volunteers and the permanent staff, is just amazing. They cannot believe how UK Limited can actually run this air to two thing mm. um, the w the, to such a high degree of professionalism when it's primarily unpaid staff. And, um, and it's, it's very, very rewarding. And it, it's good to be able to say thank you. All those thank yous I haven't been able to say over you know, since Paul died in 2004. Um, until now, it, it, it's... it's a very valuable thing, I think, which we're able to do now. Well, you've you've mentioned obviously how it's a, a an, an event of many different people, um, from from top to bottom, everyone involved, and everyone as important as each other. Uh, obviously, that's putting a, an air tattoo together is a huge jigsaw. Um, would you be able to tell us anything about sort of the, the organisational challenges of putting that jigsaw together, and and the challenging and the most rewarding aspects of it? Um, <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, I really, um, given that we started with it relatively small at a disused airfield where there was nobody that was worried that we were banging stakes in the ground to put tents up or, I don't know, putting um, more radios in the control tower. Not that there were any radios at Northwell when we started there. Um, there are so many aspects to it. So... Um, I can't, how can I put it? It's, it's, it's just wonderful that we're, first of all, nowadays we're offered an airfield. The United States Air Force are bloody brilliant that they can see the immense value that they can achieve from it. One, one of my um, outlooks on life has always been um, share the benefits. 
there's no point in just going in there trying to make a shed trying to make a shed load of money for the charity uh, and hope you can do the same again each year so it's so important that uh, everybody gets a benefit and I know sometimes on the forums there's this criticism about too many tents with suits and all the rest of it but actually if we didn't have the suits uh, and they didn't meet each other and meet the heads of the Air Force now it wouldn't work so um, we, we were able to we we're able to give to the Americans immense value they get to meet a whole variety of people that would cost them a fortune to go and meet the Royal Air Force um, can see the value in it didn't they didn't see it in the early days they, they found it quite challenging this strange bunch of people who used <laughs> to run an air show on on mm. airfields um, and uh, so th there's that side of it so that's the starting point the airfield you get the airfield and that comes from quite high level you're offered it but then you've got to convince everybody down on the ground who are going to be screwed about by us by putting tents up close to the runway closer than you'd normally put them maybe and they're going to tap into the water supply so that when the married quarters turn on their tap maybe that not so much water comes out because <laughs> 1,500 volunteers are having a shower or <laughs> flushing the loo or whatever else. Um, so you've got to, you know, have to work with all the different categories of people. And of course, we work <laughs> evenings until it's dark or in fact through to the morning sometimes mm. to make things happen. We work at the weekends when a lot of the, uh, the staff that run a base are closed. You know, they've gone home for the weekend and do normal people things. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're sort of pushing the boundaries. So... Um, there's so much going on in all the various areas, whether it's, as I say, the putting up the tents or the f getting enough catering to cater for how many people are coming, for how many VIPs are coming. The chief's wife is a celeriac or whatever you call it, not a celeriac, what's the word? Celiac. That's a f celiac. Celiac. <laughs> the vegetable is celeriac, isn't it? <laughs> 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 There's a diplomatic faux pas straight away. <laughs> Um, and, and making sure that you can get all those things right. And, you know, our flying display director, who should be nameless um, when I was there, uh, couldn't cope with mayonnaise in his sandwiches. Now, packed lunches, you tend to generate a few thousand of them, and this chap can't take mayonnaise. And it's important he doesn't have it, because it doesn't do his tummy any good. So it's, it's, there's lots of things going on all over the place. Installing thousands of... I say thousands, it's probably over the top... Um, just under a thousand radios on different networks that all can't yeah. talk to each other that hopefully you guys can't always listen into on some <laughs> of the channels. That's <laughs> what you think. To know, to know how you, well, yes, to know what's gone wrong and when the sludge gulper, you know, is uploaded <laughs> or whatever. Um, <laughs> so there, there's lots going on there. Um, but that's the fun of it. it, it it's a multi-dimensional jigsaw puzzle that a whole bunch of um, loony people really love to work on under pressure uh, um, and most of the time make it work okay 2008 accepted and maybe this year um, accepted but generally speaking they um, can weave all those little bits of jigsaw puzzle together and make it come into the most fantastic which most of the time it is most fantastic event mm. I ramble by the way you shouldn't ask <laughs> questions I, no, I, I, I need to ask you questions <laughs> What um what don't you miss about Riyadh then? Talking about that sort of you know organisation, which I imagine is probably very rewarding when you see the end product, but you, you probably sort of tearing your hair out when it's when it's happening. What's the thing that you you don't miss about Riyadh? Or you... <laughs> I I don't miss. Yeah, I don't miss. Uh, um, 
the call in the oh well, no the, the thing that really has bugged me in the past in a big way is um, the American uh, the base has got facilities there clearly for uh, exercises and, and operational use accommodation I'm talking about now and compared to the RAF's classic officers mess where it's a bit basic the American um, uh, what do they call it now visiting visiting officers quarters are very very nice and our management team normally get access to them. Now, in the good old days, it was one person to a room. Now it's bunk beds in there, and there's probably four people <laughs> to a room. But it's got, they tend to have a microwave and um, a, a little kitchenette area, nice loo, nice shower, and everything else. And coat hangers, which the REF rarely give you in the officers' messes, for some reason. <laughs> and towels. They don't give you towels, either. <laughs> um, what an insight. <laughs> <laughs> and now these beds are so important. Every volunteer needs a, a reasonably good bed to put his head down because it's normally late at night and it's going to be a very early morning. And unfortunately, the uh, fire alarm system in the visiting officers' quarters and the visiting airmen's quarters have a, a, a set of sensors that are very susceptible to, oh, I think they call them... Um, mayflies or june bugs or some little bug right. that, <laughs> gets in, that gets in them and sets the alarm off <laughs> and when th when the alarm goes off it's like being in hell i can imagine <laughs> because it, the noise just rattles your eyeballs rattles your teeth you have to go outside unless you're absolutely deaf as a boast um, and then you wait for the fire department to come out check every room and if anybody gets caught still in there they're sort of almost shot um, and then make sure the place is not burning, reset the alarms. On one night, that happened three times. <laughs> oh, <God>. oh, no. <laughs> and it was the Friday before the public opening when oh. you know, a lot of people get up at four. So some of the people that got up at four to go to work actually miss the third one um, because they were already out. <laughs> they were already out. <laughs> but, you know, you, w duty of care, those people who have to then do air traffic control or engineering aircraft or whatever else, just being sensible driving vehicles mm. the, you, you, you've got them yeah. a bit shaky so yeah. that's the thing I don't miss <laughs> the most <laughs> <laughs> and it can be cold of course in the middle of the night when you're just yeah. in your I don't know whatever you wear at night um, yeah challenging <laughs> obviously it's been six years now since you handed over the reins in 2014 when you did an interview with us you talked to us a lot about your highlights of when you were at the helm and what stood out to you in the 43 years that you you were in charge since handing over has there been anything in particular that's stood out to you that's attended the show anything that caught you by surprise maybe you know it's strange because uh, inevitably at that 2014 period um, I ended up doing quite a few interviews uh, with people asking that question and I've, I've, <laughs> I've gone back over my answers and they vary just about with every newspaper every <laughs> every medium because the air tattoo for me was was full of high points i mean uh, uh, identifying that low point of the the fire alarm is easier than the high points um and what i've always been cautious of doing is highlighting an airplane uh, from a particular country because you know the Antonov, where did the Antonov 2 come from um, a couple of years ago? Estonia. Estonia, you know. That, in a way, is an incredibly high, high point, isn't it? Mm. 
but tends to get forgotten a little bit. But I don't know how long it took them and how many stops they made and, you know, how many books they read on the way uh, whilst they're flying it. Um, So I I find it very difficult. And uh, clearly there's been some fantastic occasions, you know, parking a a bear alongside a B-52 on an American Mm -hmm. military base. Mm -hmm. And nobody really... um, realize we were going to do that until it happened and it was too late you know um there's some very good points taking you know i used to work at boscombe down as i mentioned and when i worked there security was immensely um strict it really was very strict because there were all sorts of strange things going on in all sorts of strange hangars there and yet we put russian airplanes in there didn't we (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, Russian aeroplanes doing amazing things. We put Czechoslovakian. Was it still Czechoslovakia then? I think it was. Um, well, you would have been ninety-three. It broke up. Yeah, so it was Czechoslovakian aeroplanes wow. in there, um, and that to me was very, very special because yeah. I could just, I could just imagine what was going through the minds of the security personnel there. Uh, but luckily, there was a, yeah, when I was an air trafficker there, there was um. A test pilot there from A Squadron, the fighter test squadron, who had become the um, he then went on to become the commandant, a chap called David the David Bywater, the late David Bywater now, um, and he was the guy that said, "Oh, go on then," having tried to dissuade me and um, and Paul over about two hours mm. because it was too difficult from his point of view. But we eventually persuaded him that there were ways round all these no's. Um, so he let us uh, do it, and he was so, so impressed with the organisation that he went on to become a vice president and then a, a non-executive, a volunteer non-executive director for the company, with all the responsibilities you know com- that comes with that. So one of the things I actually wanted to ask was about that period in the early nineties when there was all these former Soviet and Warsaw Pact aircraft coming over, and I was going to ask if you could give some insight into the diplomatic, you know, efforts and the work and the. The, the drive to get that over because obviously that was a, a huge just milestone but it sounds like it was probably the biggest obstacle was at home <laughs> uh, there were lots of obstacles right across the board um i think as the show gained in pop gained in popularity uh, uh, you know it was a nato gathering a gathering of the nato aviators and um those that were aspiring to join nato the what do they call it the ppe no what is it anyway the partnership for Whatever. Partnership for um, peace, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, countries who were going to join. That was all, they were all coming, and they were all deriving great value, and the word was going out. Um, so a lot of the foreign uh, countries who were perhaps not the friendly forces in those days were envious. You know, they wanted to be amongst it to be able to demonstrate their prowess in the air. Mm. So... You know, at certain levels in those countries, there was a willingness. Um, it was the political aspect you had to get over, and, and that was a challenge. Um, and if I go back to our discussions with Russia, you know, Paul and I made, a f- I can't remember now, uh, probably three or four visits to Russia, which is very difficult, isn't it, when you're a charitably-based organisation funding a trip to Russia to persuade military airplanes <laughs> to come to a public <laughs> air show in England. And, you know, how do you get that past the Charity Commission? Because at the, back of our m- at the back of our minds, all the time, we had to be um, conforming or be able to argue the case for conforming with the, the, the rules and regulations of the charity. But we went over there on a number of occasions um, and saw Russian military people and then we had um, 
our air attaches, defense attaches over there, who are also endeavoring to oil the wheels. Um, and we just, you just work at it. And slowly but surely, the, like a Rubik's Cube, the colors all come together, they line up, and you get a yes. Mm. Uh, and I mean, the, when um, Anatoly bought the Sukhoi to Boscombe, uh, we got the yes, it can happen, but really for about four days leading up to it, it was almost, it can't be done. Wow. For all yeah. for all the um, the infrastructure reasons of the air traffic control system, that didn't like a Sukhoi 27 going out of the country, <laughs> and the computer, it bit, yeah, the old story, the computer says no, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, you can you can all remember that amazing arrival. Uh, yeah. Was it the 134 or 154? 134, I think it was. The um, support aircraft. Yes. And Anatoly, well, who. Sorry? I've seen the pictures. I don't remember it myself, oh, okay. unfortunately. Well, it was it was quite spectacular, and it was totally illegal. But um, <laughs> a Anatoly had been talking to us, um, another um, one of our volunteers who popped his, who's now popped his clogs. Sadly, all my mates are popping their clogs, <laughs> um, which is very sad. But um, Ray Dixon and he were talking most days, most hours, most nights, uh, trying to find the way. And um, so, you know, he had been working it and then he flew it and it's quite a long way and all the rest of it. And then he went into that wonderful routine, which was bloody stupid uh, on arrival. <laughs> and all my old air traffic control mates, because at Boscombe, we couldn't put our volunteer team in to run the air traffic control. It had to be the existing air traffic controllers there because it was a fully functioning control tower and they were Brits with CAA licenses, so why not? And a lot of my old mates there um, weren't that happy about it because they felt they were put in a... They weren't volunteers. They were nice people, great people. I used to love going for a beer with them. But they found themselves in this very awkward position where something was happening that shouldn't have happened and mm. they didn't know how to stop it. And we, well, we, we couldn't at the time. So interesting times. Was there ever a moment when, say, you saw something like that, like that amazing arrival or, or that amazing display and you thought... And which is totally illegal or um, not like anything anyone had seen and you think oh gosh we're never going to be allowed to have them back the next year or the year after that or something did you ever have any worries about that oh many occasions you know if you think um, another occasion uh, I can't remember the year now 20 something or other 20 years something or other um, we'd just had the base completely refurbished I oh, said so we'd had it the Americans had just refurbished the base we went to Cottesmore so it's 2002-ish three-ish um, millions of dollars spent on refurbishing the base lovely new um, runway hardened new surface the whole shebang head of the American Air Force on the balcony talking to um, Jeff Brindle our flying display director at the time when the G222 managed to um, <laughs> yes. get it mm. get it yeah. get it wrong with a very heavy landing where the nose wheel undercarriage or the nose leg uh, came up into the cockpit because it came down too heavily and then scraped along this brand new runway surface <laughs> in front of the head of the American Air Force who had signed the check for the refurbishment <laughs> and I was thinking well I can't say it can I but it was a rude word I was thinking that's it we will never be allowed back uh, uh, you know uh, and after 9-11 that wasn't our mistake 9-11 but you know, if you think about it, isn't it incredible that they would, the United States military, Department of Defense and the Ministry of Defense, to a degree, would put their trust in this organization, this charity-based organization, 
to run another air show there, given the terrorism risks. Um, it's one of the things that uh, we discussed on our last podcast, interestingly enough, because we were talking about airshow memories, especially for the last yes. 20 to 30 years. Uh, yep. Discussing the change, we pointed out two things that stood out. One was the fall of the Iron Curtain, which we sort of touched upon already, but the other thing is, yep. well, was 9-11. Um, obviously, two very big things. So you, you just mentioned 9-11, so I, I presume you would agree that it did have a big impact in, in how the show was run. Yeah, you know, the day that happened, um, Paul and I, well, Paul and I had offices opposite and we had, uh, in the good old days, we had um, personal assistants, we called them, (laughs) and um, people to do the typing for us and actually do a lot of the work for us because they were (laughs) cleverer than we were. Um, And Paul had a, he brought a personal television in for his office anyway, it was always in there, and he said, quick, come in. And we all went into his office there and we watched one aeroplane then another one going into the um, Twin Towers. And uh, it was a horrible moment to watch. We just couldn't believe it. It was like a Mm. computer simulation or something. Um, What was amazing after that, because we'd assumed that was wind the company up, there's no way we're going to be allowed to run or let the public into an American military air base and probably not a Royal Air Force air base either. but by that time, the air to two had grown in significance as a valuable tool for defence diplomacy, and our government very much relied on this coming together of all these important people in a very, very friendly, relaxed. You say, oh yeah, people say they're the suits. Okay, they wear suits, but most of them aren't in uniforms. So it's a relaxed atmosphere, no forced formality, uh, not too much anyway. Um, where good things get done, you know, relationships are built and problems are resolved over a beer or a pancake or whatever else. <laughs> um, so it was quite amazing how quickly the system got together with us to find a way to let it happen. Clearly, there were some military people who were charged with keeping things very, very safe and they found it difficult. But at the higher levels, they wanted the Air to 2 to continue. And uh, there was an Air Vice Marshal from the um, Royal Air Force came in, Commander 3rd Air Force um, came in to the, this, this group, mm. and we worked out how to do it. And um, what was nice about it was that, well, for the first time ever, um, we had to have an agreement for using the airfield. Up until then, it had been very much based on a maybe an exchange of letters and a handshake. So we had to have this big memorandum of arrangement or understanding or whatever legal term was. You're a lawyer, you should know. <laughs> memorandum <laughs> of understanding, <laughs> MOU. Go on, Tom, that's it. Okay. Um, and that was drawn up. And that was very, very difficult because... Uh, nobody quite knew to what degree it should go down to detail. I mean, at one stage, we had a paragraph in there about, and uh, just seeing you, Ian, putting your cup down, where you can and where you can't put your cup down in the <laughs> control tower for fear of <laughs> spilling fluids over the, the controls. Um, but it was drawn up, and we all knew it was a starting point, and we ran the first show with most... In fact, virtually all of the the public parking their cars off the airfield 
and then we sat again and we assessed it, you know, how can we ease back from this draconian pushing everybody out? And as you've seen over the years, we've slowly worked it back. So we've got quite a lot of cars back on the airfield, mm. making certain parts of the airfield what they call dirty, you know, non-secure, big fences and systems to keep people from getting from one side to the other without going through the, the security um, system. So uh, it was quite amazing the support we had. And, you know, we didn't get a bill for that support it was done because they believed in the air to two organization and its value and it's quite interesting um back in oh cracky when were we now um after paul died 2004 we ran that show and it was challenging you know poor old paul popping his clogs trying to keep the team going did they believe in me was i capable on my own when it was two of us at the top running the thing in the past um, you know, lo lots of emotions going on. And then, you know, the, after that year, the Royal Benevolent Fund decided to um, let us go. And, and again, the amount of people that rallied round to ensure the Air to Two would con continue was just amazing at, at the very high levels. And the Royal Air Force gave us the name Royal Air Force Charitable Trust. And, and lots of volunteers came in at the very high levels I'm not saying more important than a sludge gulper driver again, but, you know, <laughs> people that can make things happen in different areas. And, and we kept going. So um, interesting challenges, but the because of the reputation of the people and the air to two, the people that run it and itself, um, we've got quite a lot of strength there to get through difficult problems like MiG-29s colliding. You know, mm. you, you could have said then, should we have continued after that? And we did. Yeah, we 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 were actually quite good in the way we were set up to cope with a problem like that, and that was recognised. It shouldn't have happened, but you know mm. it was recognised, and um, yeah, we carried on. I remember for the um, I helped with the 2014 interview we did, and you said that the that was actually one of one of your takeaways, your takeaway proudest moments. React was how the show managed to dust itself off after that. Um, accident and, 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 and carry on um, and I dare say that there's been um, a couple of other times with you know, certain um, problems, 9-11 or the G222 or impacts of different things whether they're at the show or not um, where the show's been able to sort of pick itself up and, and, and keep going. Do you think that, that um, COVID-19 and the impact of coronavirus is, is another one of those things. It's a challenge for the show to face and then uh, step over. I do. I do. I mean, it's a very complicated one and there are lots of um, players in the problem. Um, but the determination that I've seen, OK, I'm distant from it now uh, on a day to day basis. But there is that determination there still um, to find that way to make it happen. And clearly at the moment, it's sort of rolling with the punches. You know, see what's going on and working your way through it. And inevitably, there'll have to be some changes, just like there were after 2008 when we, you know, we had to cancel at the last minute. Um, we, we, we found ways to work it. The, the, the nice thing is, again, it's that, that force, um, uh, that power of the volunteer organisation coupled with the governmental military type things that want to make it happen that will actually see it through well just while we're on um coronavirus and, and so 
uh, as you probably heard, React are doing a virtual um, uh, EAT React um, this year. Yep. What do you think of that, and and how do you how do you hope that will pan out? Do you hope to see lots of archive footage, or because there's also things like um, the RAF um, e esports team, so lots of simulator stuff as yep. well. I think it's a brilliant idea. I mean, you say um, see lots of archive footage because of uh, 2021 and the 50th birthday of the Air to Two. Um, and I don't know whether it's been announced yet, so I better be careful what I say. But we've been looking at lots of footage and talking about the footage. So I've actually been going through lots of it prior to this blasted COVID problem. Um, Yes, I think the important thing is it, it's communication, isn't it? Just like I was saying about going and saying thank you to chiefs. It's keeping that communication going. I mean, um, I've always worried that if we didn't run an air show in a particular year, the some of the volunteers would go and find golf or sailing or something <laughs> else to do and, and would lose them. In 1975, we didn't run a show. And that was again the Royal Air Forces Association that decided it wasn't for them anymore. So we, you know, were out looking for a, a charity because the event need if the event's going to run, it needs a charity to give its money to. So um, yeah, interesting times there. Um, so, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> a virtual. Oh, virtual. Thank you. You see, this is why I had to retire. My brain's <laughs> failing miserably. <laughs> Um, and there's so much you have to do in my head, it goes around in circles. Um, <laughs> the, the virtual show, it's a great way for people to A, be involved, and you know whether it's pilots from wherever, uh, people doing the simulation stuff, for the volunteers um, to actually see that it's still happening, it's still going on. And uh, of course, th this time gives the permanent staff an opportunity to, uh, I don't know, review how they were doing things in the past and maybe give a bit of house clearing time to tidy things up and then to have that in july as a focal point you know it's still there it's still happening to keep morale really good and i think there's because of again the input of the royal air force and because of the relationships with the foreign air forces and you know tom gibbons running the air ops side did some brilliant things peter Riok now who's you know a youngster <laughs> who's come up and really shown he knows what he's doing. He's got some brilliant ideas. Um, and, uh, you know, it's his first air show in the Air to Two organization. Um, and I've seen a little bit of what he's doing. And it's looking very, very good. So, you know, as long as they can get the technicalities right, you know, <laughs> to get the internet connections right and the microphones working and all the rest of it, Mm. I think it'd be very good. Did, did any of you watch the armchair air show that the um, Aerobility ran at the weekend? Yeah, I watched some of it. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I've been watching um, Planes TV. Have been doing a lot of stuff as well, sort of uh, historic air shows, and they've just done the, the day almost. So if you know, it's not very often I can sort of set aside a whole Saturday, but they're, they're very. It was very easy to dip in and out, um, and um, yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, really good. And the nice thing is that Planes TV, I believe, are heavily involved in this uh, production for the air to do the VAT, <laughs> value added tax, <laughs> value added, <laughs> value added air to do, um, and and so he will have a lot of good experience, uh, you know, from doing what he's been doing up until July time. So yeah, I, th I think it's going to be interesting. I, and yeah, I was talking with. Um, Paul Atherton, who's you know my successor's successor, and he's very excited about it, and he can see it being 
a thing that happens even alongside the edge to in the future. Good opportunity to do yeah, some interesting okay. things. Yeah. And I hope I have not just talked out of turn. And Paul, if I have, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's an enthusiasm um, and an, an, an energy behind it. So I think it's going to be very good. Well, what what is interesting is that they've gone for... Cle clearly, obviously, you're kind of on it quite early on. But they've gone for a very multi-dimensional production rather than just running old footage, yes. for example. The, the, the level they've gone to with um, of getting our teams on board and, and getting stuff recorded for it and, and, and elements like that. It's not really a question. No, no. Sorry, uh, <laughs> and and, and we saw that. Well, sadly, I, I gave up a, a relatively sunny afternoon here and uh, I watched the airability thing because I wanted to see what it was like. And, um, of course, there was um, Mike Ling there, Lingy, George Bacon mm. and... John Windover, who's the chairman of Aerability, and um, they ran a good ship, and they really had some good ideas there, and they were talking to, there was a MiG-29 pilot, I think from Poland, talking, talking through his display, and you saw him sitting in the cockpit of a MiG-29, so yeah, some good ideas there, and I think it could be quite exciting. I mean, it's, you're not going to smell the um, the burgers, you're not going to be able to smell, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to smell the, the paraffin, but you know, for the inventive enthusiast, They'll get the burgers in and a can of paraffin <laughs> and, a, and a wick and set fire to it. What more could you want? <laughs> well, yes. Well, that's one thing. Uh, sorry, that's one thing that we've said mm -hmm. discussing uh, the air show and what we're going to miss this year. It isn't just the two or three days of the flying display. It's the four, five, six days that that we all take. So it is a lot more that that we are missing this year. That's right. I, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny that. Obviously, you, you mentioned about how the people involved in running the show um, are a big, you know, tightly knit unit. But the interesting thing with the air tattoo that has has developed, I think, more than any other show on the calendar, is that it's become a big social hub for the enthusiast community. Mm. Um, certainly, as far as the UCAR staff team goes, it's where we get together every year. Uh, yes, and that's wonderful. But uh, and the nice thing is, you know, you've got your medium of the, the the website, the forums, and all the rest of it. So you can keep some of it going. But you know, to mm. me, that's that's the wonderful thing that the air tattoo isn't just the meeting place, the gathering of military aviators. It's it's chiefs, mm. it's industry, it's the public. A lot of families invite their wider family, and they. Yeah. get their picnic hampers and whatever else yeah. and they yeah. make a weekend of it my um my pa linda jones her family all come and stay and they get the barbecues going and uh, yeah it, it, it's a big social gathering mm. and i think the cotswolds find it an important gathering as well because you know fairford puts the flags up from all the nations taking part the schools mm. run activities associated with all those countries there's the peripheral um benefits of the gathering are quite I immense which which pleases me immensely too <laughs> have you found that sort of thing quite surprising how welcoming not just fairford but obviously you've spoken about the international air arms that you visited and their enthusiasm for it have you found that surprising because we've discussed before that we're uh, Great Britain's an aviation nation and you know, we love aeroplanes we always stop and look in the sky at something that's going ahead yep. um, but do, have you found that that's the same sort of feeling from the international participants? Oh yes uh, so many of them that I've known over the years because they've had a good time and because 
again we we do lots of parties for the participants the the engineers that come with the airplanes the aircraft the ground crew and, and so on um, wherever possible they get to see the countryside because you have to to drive to your hotel or whatever else so many of them including the air attaches from london and uh the chiefs that come come back to the uk for holidays because <laughs> brilliant it's green and they love it mm. i mean i went to um i did an interesting series of visits um i d in one year to see the chiefs i went to greece I then went via Bulgaria, saw the chief there, who's a MiG who was a MiG-29 display pilot, and he's now the president of Bulgaria. Um, and then I went to Turkey. And just after I had visited Turkey, there was the big bombing just down the road from where I'd been, which my wife was pleased I'd come back from. Um, and they came, they, didn't, they brought some aeroplanes, and that was 2013, no, 2014 was when they were bombing, I think. Okay. Well, it must have been the year after they brought some more. But anyway, uh, the Greece brought some and Turkey brought some. Tried to get phantoms from both again. And the Turks had promised phantoms. This was before the coup, unfortunately, um, before they retired them. Um, but when I sat with the general and his wife that came over, and they found me, they wanted to sit and talk. They said, what a wonderful country you've got when we look, watch the television, when we look at the countryside, when we meet the people, he said, you're so lucky, well, they both said, you're so lucky in this country and that you can run a thing like this on an American base. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, th uh, it, d it did surprise me how much other people benefit from it, but then it, it warms me greatly to think we're not just taking, because there's nothing worse in life than taking. Uh, you know, an exchange is fine, giving is wonderful. That sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, changing the topic slightly uh, to the, uh, the, the the punter's experience, one thing that's been observed maybe in the last few years is that the air show has gone from being, to, to some degree, a purely sort of military entertainment show to a, a big corporate gathering as well, uh, and and a trade show to some element. And there's some criticism of the show with the amount of chalets that t populate the crowd line and, and corporate areas. Do you view that evolution as a as a necessity, or can you do you sympathise with the the public? I uh, I sympathise to a degree. Um, the 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 construct, the formula for being able to run it as a charitable thing and it, you couldn't run it not being a charitable thing wouldn't work unless there was a big injection of money from industry so you've got to do it um, you've got to do it the, the thing is you've got to find a way to get the balance right and I think I knew up until the time I left that there's always a chance to make more money but what was important to me was the ethos of the event, the, the value of the fun side of it and trying to get that balance right. Um, and it's a difficult call. There's no question about it. More commercialism was brought to it. Andy is a, is a very bright man and was able to bring his marketing skills and his expansion skills to the fore. Uh, I, I always had, well, there were some 
great people on the non-executive director team, volunteers again, Alan Smith, who, you know, first joined us as a volunteer when he was trying to sell Arctic light beer for Eind Coop, non-alcoholic <laughs> beer, it's dreadful stuff, back in, <laughs> back in, 19, back in 1976. He's still the chairman of the company as a volunteer, non-executive director, and he puts shed loads of days, hours into it. Um, and he was a marketing man. So uh, there was always, uh, and if it had just been me running or just Paul and me running it, it would have made nowhere near the money for the charity. It's gone to another level now when Andy came on board and it squeezed some more money out. How far you can go on that front, I don't know. Uh, for, my own, for my own mind, I think it's gone far enough. I've maybe wind the sc adjusting screw back just a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't know what the numbers are now and what the costs are. I know that to ensure the event, which is hundreds of thousands of pounds just for the cancellation cover alone, and yes, they paid me 4.25 million in 2008, and they could have had to pay me 5. Point, I think it's 4 million. So the premiums are going up, and it's not just the weather aspect, it's the, the monarchy. And, you know, God bless them, they're getting older. And you know, there is an issue over that because a lot of the people that help us run the show um, have got roles to play come a big funeral. Um, so, you know, the, the costs mm, are going true. up. So okay. possibly, he, you know, the, it's not making so much money. Um, it's actually helping to cover the increased costs. <laughs> It, it's so a, it's a, it, it, and of course with COVID coming on board now, you know, just, just hand dispensers to clean your hands. Someone's going to be charging a lot of money for those, I guess, and yeah. plus all the other things that you know they're going to have to do to actually make it right. So it's a difficult one, and yes, you don't want the whole airfield covered in tents. Um, you want the people to be able to, you know, the Joe public and the youngster who's going to join the military or join British Airways or whatever to fly airplanes. You want them to see it and get yeah you know, up close to it. So it's, a, it's an interesting balance. You, you mentioned that you would dial it back now, you think. Is that uh, some advice that you've given to Paul Atherton? No, good God, no. That's, that's being an interfering old fart. Now, come on, play the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, because everybody will have a different opinion. You know, if I ask the three of you what's the right level, you'll all have a slightly different opinion. Um, so... Uh, um, no, I, I, I'd leave Paul now to, to work with what he's taken over and the feedback. Because the good thing is, you know, the air to organisation gets the feedback in and responds accordingly. I mean, it really is good at doing that. Won't please everybody all of the time, as somebody once said. Um, Bob Dylan, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, <laughs> it's quoted many times. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a game that he's got to play now, and um, I think he'll play it very well. Paul's a great guy. He's got a lot of understanding about military aviation. He's got some great people to help him on the commercial side, and uh, he's quite a wise man in a general sense. Um, so I think it's going to you know, work out well. You mentioned uh, feedback and, and things like that. Um, Obviously, you know, we're all from, from UCAR. Did you ever read the, the UCAR forums um, uh, back in the day, uh, either post-show or before it, when, when certain things were announced? Or did you think, I don't want to touch it? And, and for that matter, our, our published reviews. I read them all the time. In fact, um, 
I'm one of those people that when you get into something, I just do it all the time, as my wife will tell you. Um, mm. So I would, on occasions, quite often, because I used to not sleep very well, the, the air show mm. used to keep me awake a lot, I would read reviews, and where I felt there was criticism that was valid, I would normally be, be banging out emails as a consequence, one, <laughs> one in the morning, which is totally unacceptable as a chief executive. You know, you're not supposed to send emails <laughs> out until nine in the morning and stop at half past four or something. Um, so yes, I, I would look at UKAR, look at some other websites. Scramble I used to enjoy for all sorts of other mm -hmm. reasons as well. Um, it's important to have a bit of a knowledge of all different aspects of how people see us. So yes, and, and sometimes I was thinking, oh, for God's sake, you know, stop whinging. <laughs> we, can't, we can't get that particular aeroplane because, you know, we can't talk to that country. Um, at other times I was thinking, this is great. We've got all these people who are interested in what we're doing. Isn't that wonderful? And, and that's the abiding thing that uh, is for me, that there's such a, a supporter base within UKAR, uh, which is great. It's interesting for us, the staff members, I mean the the React thread and the React wish lists. It's one of the most <laughs> contentious <laughs> topics on the forum, and sometimes you just want to give up with. I would say some of the ludicrous things, but it, it's how can I put it nicely? Trying to trying to get a dose of reality to some people, like you say. Yes, <laughs> without wanting to alienate the members, I do sometimes look at the wish yeah. list thread and think, just put everything. Just put every plane. As we discussed, it's easy to put the rose-tinted spectacles on and look at what used to have. And people ask the question, why don't we get X, Y, Z anymore? Yes. Um, and there's various reasons. You know, the defence budgets aren't there. There's no need to have uh, such a large air force for many Eastern European countries, etc. But I find there's two... I think two separate groups of people, those that have been and have, have known the old times and then the sort of newer generation, yes. which is good. Um, there's, there's a lot of younger people on the forum that I've noticed that take not just React, but other air shows with great, great enthusiasm. And they just love seeing what is about now. So to them, an F-22 and F-35 these days would be a tornado or a, a right. phantom or yep. a lightning to somebody in the 80s. Life, life moves on. I was wondering who's going to be the first to mention Lou, and you said, as in toilets, and you said ludicrous. I thought, oh, somebody's <laughs> used <it>. Ian's first. <laughs> but, but just a, an example of um, uh, getting the right aeroplanes. Paul and I always liked the idea of getting an IL-28, the Beagle, to the show. And I can remember we were in um, Romania and we were in the headquarters building because they wanted to run an air show and they wanted our advice. And everybody in that room was smoking, apart from me, I don't smoke. <laughs> and it was hell. And we eventually, <laughs> persuaded, we eventually persuaded them that in return for us voluntarily helping them to plan their air show, um, they would tart up, do up, paint up um, an IL-28 and send it to us. And uh, of course, I, I don't know if you know this story, about yeah. a week before well, they did the air test having painted it and uh, crashed it. Yeah. And I've, I've still got a picture of it with its wing folded back and all the rest of it. So you know, we do go to incredible extremes to get special aeroplanes and sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work out. I mean, fancy, my last show, I had to have the F-35s there 
And we mm. had about a hundred US Marines staying in a hotel. We were giving them trips around Stonehenge to keep them from being bored. <laughs> and on the Friday night of the show, I was on the top table, which I'd rarely do. Well, I've never done it before. Top table. I was with the head of the British Air Force, head of the American Air Force, head of the Marine Corps Aviation, uh, Marilyn Hewson, the chief executive of Lockheed, a whole bunch of important people on this top table in this big dinner full of people. And we were still discussing how we could get the F-35 there. Um, one general had to keep going out of the meeting to take phone calls because they were still trying <laughs> because I wanted it to come to Fairford and not go to Farnborough because <laughs> it could because if it, if it, I wanted it to land at Fairford during an air to two so I could for my last show say it and of course it didn't happen yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah the, the the team does try very hard <laughs> to get what you all want and what we all want I mean uh, I would say if you ever happen to find yourself in Serbia speaking to a, a chief of air staff please, please do mention the J-22 <laughs> It's, um, Serbia is on the list for me to go and see, but they haven't agreed for me to go and see them yet. So, okay. Well, do you think what was that airplane? What was that airplane again? A chipmunk? Do you say? <laughs> I, I will gladly take it. If that's a Serbian chipmunk, I'll be all over that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, <laughs> but, but were you able to go to? Well, I, I know the answer is yes, but were you able to go to? air arms and say we're particularly keen on this kind of aircraft and were they re receptive to why British enthusiasts and British air show goers would want to see this particular aircraft over say you know a another one that they operated yes we would specifically go I can remember an occasion when a young corporal uh, from Bry's radar who was helping me he's now a, a wing commander um, he was voluntarily helping me and we gave him the job of phoning to get a particular registration of F-104. No way. Wow. <laughs> yep, particular registration and he got it. What, to tick and off he, his list? And he nearly got... No, we, we, put, we wanted it. it uh, 2000... Uh, something 04. I can't remember now. I think it was Dutch. What, what was the significance of the, of the particular registration? I can't remember. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Just special at the time. But I can remember him coming in to see me and he was almost in tears because he knew he had overstepped the mark <laughs> and he thought his boss was going to sack him as a consequence. <laughs> so, no, we, we'll, we'll give people that have, got, that have got courage a telephone, a telex, oh, I say telex machine, uh, wow. an email machine, whatever else, and we just go for it. And you, you, you start at the top, you go in the formal way as well, which is midway, and then you go into the squadron and say, you might get a request. If you do, can it be this aeroplane? You know, and seriously, would go for a particular color scheme or a particular registration, mm -hmm. which we knew was going to um, be well received by the uh, enthusiast fraternity. That is extraordinary Fantastic. that you, you would be prepared to target individual airframes. Oh, yeah, because the one thing you don't want is the same old airframe coming back every year. And some countries do that. Um, and you, you, you try hard to explain that actually uh, their yeah. reputation would improve <laughs> if you gave a different number. The, 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 loggers, the loggers on the team do express their frustration whenever that happens, it has to be said. Yes, and notice I didn't mention any countries then, because I'm a <laughs> diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, isn't it incredible that these countries send aeroplanes to this country for our benefit? It is. It is extraordinary. I mean, I'm I, we're always, very lucky. I've always very. understood that a lot of, f for example, 
South Korea sending the Black Eagles or you know Japan attending obviously has a lot of diplomatic weight behind it as well and presumably there presumably there's a lot of re- reciprocity is that the word it's a big one um, <laughs> but yes. that, that goes with it but it must feel you know going certainly going back to when you were you were organizing it to be able to get new countries attending a British air show, making a debut at a British air show, and at, at yours with the weight that the air tattoo always carried with it, must have been an incredible feeling. Well, I, you know, just thinking back, I would always join the team. My approach to life was um, I understood toilets, I understood porter cabins, I tried to understand VIPs, not so good at that. Um, I understand aeroplanes. So I would actually go to the embassies and be part of the small team that went trying to get aeroplanes. That was, that was the m- proper route in. And uh, I must have been to the Korean embassy and the Japanese embassy probably 25 times before we broke through. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, the, the Korean said, um, it's a bit of a joke you asking, Mr. Prince. And I was very polite. Everyone's very polite, which is great. Um, would you send your aeroplanes away when you've got you know this country just north of you that's you know on the face of it mm-hmm. not very friendly um so when that one broke through and they decided to dismantle their um their lovely new 50s and put them into jumbo jets at their cost and fly them to manchester i mean the sad thing about that was they got nicked didn't they by waddington <laughs> 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 and now well, that wasn't on the cards but but being really kind people the south koreans when they were asked by waddington they said well yeah, of course we can go to your show because it's just before we'll have air-tested the aeroplanes and so on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Japan, likewise. And, and to get the Japanese come, not just with a, was it 767 tanker? Yeah. Um, but with a, a the, the Tyco, drummers. Dr- the drummers. And I, that, mm. that added, to, to my, that was the air tattoo. That really was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting over-enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love to see it. It's in the blood. And that was, that was the year where... Um, Columbia as well. They they packed a small um, T ninety Kalima in. Was it into the into their Hercules? And they they Hercules. bought that as well. And made a mm. huge effort, sort of with a lovely strip on the side. So um, there seems to be a lot of sort of the stars aligned then. And, and that aeroplane arrived a day early, late in the evening. It was pissing with rain, and I went out there to meet <laughs> them um, with Tom Gibbons and a couple of others. And we couldn't believe, you know, long old flight, um, and the back of that aeroplane was full of that little aeroplane. And yet there was a general, uh, was it two generals? I think it was two generals, um, and loads of officers and loads of airmen. And they came out and they were as smart as you could imagine. And you think of it, you know, uh, probably the toilet was, um, you were on the <laughs> fin of the little <laughs> trainer aircraft. Needed the, needed the sludge. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> and they painted that aeroplane up beautifully as well, hadn't they? The, uh, the nose of the C-130. Um, mm. And they were all smiling and polite, and of course, um, you know, we looked after them. But that, yeah, it was nice that. So, so, so what went into that? Did did you say we'd love to have something from you, or did you say can you get the T ninety over, you know, the the little Kalima over, or how did that come about? Well, when we ask, we sort of look at each country and see what their ambitions might be, um, and if they're making a new aeroplane. You know, what a great exposure. If it's a military aeroplane, what a great exposure to bring it to the air to do, even as a static. Um, yeah. Of course, that was a farmer year, wasn't it? So 
Yes. There was a double benefit there where, and I don't think we necessarily worked with Farnborough, but we saw the benefit of they could come and do our show first, shake down, and then go on to Farnborough relaxed and ready to do the hard sell there. Mm. So they got a double whammy mm. out of that one. But, you know, other countries, um, when I was talking to Bulgaria, um, that chief who uh, is now the president said, you know, we can't just come out to air shows. It's expensive, blah, 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 blah. Uh, all the right reasons. And, you know, given his he was strapped for cash generally and his MiG-29s were getting a bit old and so on. And I said, well, look, there is another benefit. You know, people don't necessarily come to Bulgaria for holiday. Well, not, not that many get onto your tourist department of the government and you know bring a whole lot of kit over and have a tourism promotion at the back uh, the Jordanians have done it the um, Omanis have done it you know there's great benefit to be had in just reaching our public so every, every approach c is slightly different you, you tailor it to suit was there ever a nation certainly leading up to when you stepped down and and even today uh, well, uh, either a nation or, or a particular aircraft that hasn't been yet that you would like to see attend, or, ha or had always hoped to get on, to get over. What's the Japanese flying boat thing? Shinmaiwa? Shinmaiwa? Yes. Yeah. Shinmaiwa. Um, I mean, we, we got Japan, but I'd love to have seen one of those. That would have been a treat for me. Um, I would like to have got the Chinese over, um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, we were very. We've had the Chinese chief. Um, with a huge delegation attending, um, you know, for the whole weekend uh, with camera teams and all the rest of it, and that was a precursor to them coming. Um, but you know, things have changed as as with Russia, things have changed, and uh, diplomatically, yeah. it's not acceptable mm. to invite them. Um, and we have to n now bear in mind, as life's changed a lot since 9/11 that we can't be too gung-ho on an American military base or even on a Royal Air Force base. We have to be a, you know, cognizant of some of their concerns. Sure. And speaking of Americans, what was the, what was the impact of, um, uh, in 2013, uh, sequestration, where they completely axed all military airships? Did you think there was a time when React wouldn't go ahead? I'm just trying to think, was that the year we had a B-2 and a whole lot of American airplanes at the show? I think it was, wasn't it? <laughs> well, there was one... No, I think... I think that was the the year before was, okay. was, it was the last yeah. B two on static, and then the next year there was there was not a single okay. American airplane. Well, which is, um, well, in the interesting contrast. I know in the states that year before they had cut right back, and it had been very very difficult for all American air shows to get airplanes because they you know they were leading into that sequestration situation, mm -hmm. and um, that particular Friday night, uh, I was hosting a table at the dinner where there was the head of the International Council of Air Shows, ICAS, which coordinates the world's air shows, but mainly North American. And um, as we sat down, and his dad was with him, who'd, uh, he'd gone to college at, uh, in Oxford, um, lovely old gentleman, and uh, he said, what's that noise? I said, well, that'll be the B-2 arriving. He said, you've got a B-2 here? I said, uh, y yes, yeah, 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 only just, but we've got a B-2 here. <laughs> he said, um, is that your one American airplane? I said, no, no. <laughs> and I, I listed out probably about, I think it was about nine or ten airplanes that year. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. And I was thinking, yeah, no, 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 no. But actually, in reality, he was thinking, that's not fair on the American taxpayer. Um, 
and John Cudahy, um, I, what he did when he got back, I don't know, but sequestration had happened. I think we then all missed out. But he was very, very taken aback that the Air to Two had such pull over aeroplanes. But sequestration, it was difficult, and you mm. go ferreting around for historic military aeroplanes, and uh, they're blooming expensive. You know, they they're yeah. a lot of money, yeah. and understandably, you know, to run the darn things is an insurance and everything else, but very expensive. So we always try and fill in with a, at least a token. I, I remember in 2016 when obviously the uh, 2017, which was, was their birthday, the the anniversary of the, the yeah, US Air Force, and I had made a comment on on Facebook about the amount of US stuff that was attending, obviously the Thunderbirds and F22 and that. And uh, an American friend of mine, who well, oh, named Joe Copelman, is, is probably some people have probably heard of him. Um, commented that it was remarkable that there was probably more stuff going to the air tattoo to to one of the USAF's anniversary than there were at any show in the US in one place, which was amazing that they would that you would have such an enormous celebration of it in the UK versus individual shows in the US. We the, the the support we get from the Americans is remarkable. You think Gulf War time um when leading up to now let's just think about this. Am I in the right year? 91 is that Gulf War time? Yeah. Um yep. and the base was full of B52s. And I went over to Ramstein with Paul to see General Jumper who went on to become the chief of the American Air Force and um we pleaded with him to uh, find a way, and he said, "Well, I can't stop the war in time for you guys, but if it stops, <laughs> in, if it stops in time, I will do my damnedest to get the airfield clear for you." And um, he held back. The war did stop, uh, and he held back the detachment commander who would normally have gone on the first airplane, leaving a, a small team to clear up. He left him to behind to make sure that. You know, the airfield was good for an air to two afterwards. Wow. And John Jumper went on okay. to become a, a volunteer uh, vice patron, uh, vice president, sorry. Okay. Um, and uh, we have two, I just forgot the other one's name, Naughty, Nor uh, Norton Schwartz, is also a volunteer who's been the, 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 the principal guest, the, the principal speaker at the dinner. And he's a volunteer, comes and helps us host other chiefs. Um, so yeah, we've, there's a lot of um, firepower available to us, but we try and we we try and not use it. We try and get the system to want to do something rather than be told to do it. Because you know, you get people's backs up if they're forced into a situation. Yeah. Do you do you think there's a reason that the Americans love Riyadh so much? Uh, well, we look after them. I mean, the the volunteer. There's an organisation. You go into the flight centre at Fairford, and you've got um, at the Air to Two, sorry, at Fairford, and you've got reams of people there on computers and weather forecasters, and you've got flight display planners, and you've got accommodation boards and people. It's a real airport terminal job. If you go into the back of the hospitality chalets, there's an equal-sized administration going on. Uh, a most amazing complex, you know, who sits by whom for each function because you've got to host people, you've got to make sure foods are right, you've got to make sure cars get to the right place to the right people, loyalty on top of that, you've got to get that absolutely right, people to meet them, you know, lose to be right when they come in. Um, so mm. you, you've got a, a, a t great team of people on that pro protocol side 
all volunteers, all who work their butts off to make it right, and the Americans love it. And you know, when the American mm. says, "I'd like to meet the I don't know the Colombian, for example, the Colombian chief quietly um, for 15 minutes," they fix it up, and we've got rooms, and you know, they, there are lots of little meetings going on, informal, but mm. they they work, and so they see that we're giving them value in return for them giving us aeroplanes and an airfield and, and, and support. And it, it is highly valued by the Royal Air Force and by the United States Air Force. Do you think anything um, that can be said publicly... Is it, is, I'm trying to find the right way of wording the question. Is there anything that you can say um, that's been achieved because of those sort of quiet five-minute conversations um, between generals... Um, chiefs. Um, yes, I think I can. Oh Lord, can I? <laughs> <laughs> there was one particular um, chief that I, I met on my European tours, a European chief, and his particular aeroplane, um, he needed some spare parts for it, and the factory couldn't supply them, because presumably they were a slightly older aeroplane, and during the course of the Air to Two, another chief who operated that aeroplane said, I'm sure I can help you and things happened um, and that's on older aeroplanes things happened about the F-35 um, you know through meeting up idea swapping because you know the F-35 is made in different places um, yeah. and there are bits moving around and so on and, and little problems that the system hadn't been able to fix in the normal 9 to 5 day they saw the light you know you get a consultant come in and look at what you're doing and say, well, if you just press that button, you resolve your problem. <laughs> and, and so over a, an informal cup of coffee or whatever else, yes, things got resolved. So it, it's been very effective on, on that front. Mm. And I'm sure, you know, those are the lighter level things. There's probably some even more interesting things going on as well. But it, it's all in the best possible taste, as Kenny Everett would say. <laughs> oh, you're too young to know about Kenny Everett, aren't you, you guys? Oh, I'm I not like going to lie, I have no idea. Who that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, unfortunately. I'll let that be He was good, wasn't he, Kenny Everett? Oh, yeah. Sadly missed. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, bringing things up to the present day and social media, it's something that we've talked about a lot. There's been. There's all sorts of positive and negative aspects to it. And you're quite active on Twitter. What sort of changes do you think? Uh, it's made to uh, air shows and aviation <laughs> and the like. Am I active on Twitter? I, I, I pootle around a bit. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to get involved <coughs> with anything other than uh, Facebook. I thought that was enough. And as things start popping up, all the different media, I just get confused and my wife gets more upset that I'm just looking at the, the darned iPad or the iPhone too much. <laughs> um, but I've I've seen some good parts of it. I've seen some bad parts of it. I my own view is that people say too much too quickly. My chairman Alan Smith, mm. my old chairman, sorry, who's still a good friend. Because I, my, my attitude is, I usually to respond quite quickly with things. And he said, Tim, in life, take time to reflect before you comment. You know, if I throw you an idea, don't just say, well, we tried that last week, didn't work. Yeah, do me the justice of thinking about it for a few minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there is a, a great danger of people put their feet in their mouths rather a lot on, on the likes of Twitter. 
that having been said, it's ever so good to know something's happening now. Um, I yes. don't want to know when people yeah. are going to the toilet. I don't want to know when they're having a, a steak <coughs> and stuff like that. And I can't stand people being horrible about other people in public. Um, I, 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 you know, humans shouldn't be like that. There's too much nastiness in the world without that. Um, so I can see, I can see benefits. But sometimes, you know, there are certain high-powered people in this world that just go rocketing in there um, and yeah. they're very undiplomatic in, in what mm. they say and it's hurtful and I think if you come away from looking at your screen where you felt that you've been punched in the gut then that's a misuse of the, the facility. Yeah, it, it has been quite a game changer especially well, in the last five years, the last ten years as you say with um, information, I'm say leaking out um, but take the Su-27 uh, a couple of years ago that was <laughs> translated from a, a web page and nobody <laughs> knew about that. It's it, it's good to get the information out there. Yes, oh we, yes. We often harp back on the days of when, say, you didn't know what was coming or you didn't have much of an idea of what was coming, but it's, it is a, a good medium to sell the tickets. Obviously, you, you fill the coffers more then. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's opened up to, to a lot more people, hasn't it? Used wisely is extremely good. And you talk about the past not knowing. I can remember walking into, um, there was a lady called Sue Allen who used to run the aircraft cell. We didn't have an aircraft cell. It was Paul and me on fag packet, back to fag packets, making <laughs> notes and doing deals. And she said to us one day, you know, I don't know much about airplanes, but they're just like cars, really. They've got drivers, they need fuel, they need beds if they're going to stay away from home why don't I set up a, an aircraft cell? Which she did, and she used to run it very, very efficiently. But it was in the days of messages being sent by facsimile or telex, um, just into computers. And I went into her office with about five days to go to a show, and there were five files on the desk, five files for five aircraft. One of them being, um, what's the big US Navy um, command ship? Um, E6. E6. Mercury. Yeah. An E6 and a couple of others, and the messages hadn't got through that they had cancelled, and she had booked 190 rooms for those five or six aeroplanes, and we were past mm. the cancellation point. Oh. If we, if we, yeah, yeah, uh, and and that was thousands of pounds, and you try and yeah. tell that to the board of your company of which you're the chief executive <laughs> that you've just poured that much money down the drain. And in those days, yeah, if it had been Twitter or something, she'd probably got a message just in time to cancel the hotel rooms before the, the cancellation clause crept in. So, yeah, it's got its benefits. It's, it's just got to use it sensibly yeah. and not overreact. Sorry. Speaking of sorry, uh, social media and everything else, um, I was a couple of months ago reading, rereading uh, Graham Hurley's book. Uh, <laughs> Air Show. Air Show. Yeah, fantastic book. Um, and a lot's made about... Um, Paul wanting the jumbotrons, the big screen TVs, um, and the difficulties associated with that. What technology that exists today do you wish you would have had during your time at the Airtel team? Um, if any. Yeah, if any. If any. I can remember um, uh, somebody came from Sirencester, an optician, nice guy, was a volunteer that used to sell programs. And this is way back, way, way back, and he wanted to do live streaming. And it was in days when we you had a modem that went 14, 14, 40 or seven, eight hundred. 
um, <laughs> kilobits a, an hour type. D- d- and, uh, <laughs> and he talked the story to Paul, and they were all getting hyped up about this wonderful idea and televisions and all that. And uh, I had to sort of say, look, stop. We're not ready for it yet. It, it's going to be awful. You're going to piss people off because they'll they'll get no picture. It'll all be three hours after the actual air show's happened. Um, big screens. Yeah, th- there's been an awful move, awfully big move to do iPads and um, apps for air shows, and I'm still nervous about that because when you know, I was in the garden a bit earlier on, just looking, I was following the BBC, uh, the COVID thing just now, and I could barely see my screen on full brilliance. You know, and if it's a good air show day, it's full brilliance. You know, <laughs> and do you want to be looking down at a that or at a jumbaton screen when you can actually see mm. the real thing? Yeah. Um, it's a difficult call. I think one of the, the really good things that we never, um, we did have them a few years running, but never developed it well enough, is to have the commentary in your earpiece, you know, so it's always there, mm. you can communicate with everybody, and, you know, if they're in the toilet, and you uh, you can still tell them there's a B2 coming through, so they can, <laughs> that's I've mentioned the I toilet, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> Football, but that's, that's quite a common thing at rugby matches. Is it? It's to have the sort yeah. of ref, yeah. ref link. Yes, I, I, yeah. so, I, I think yeah. it's quite a, a good thing to have, unless you're deaf like me, where you've got a hearing aid in, you can't get the other thing on top. Um, mm. Big screens, uh, I, I think probably, if you could put the big screens on the other side of the runway and they're big enough, then you could probably add some value, um, as long as the, the commentary then r- can relate to both. I used to, uh, one of the jobs that Paul and I used to get was to run the um, flying displays of a Brands Hatch just before the Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, mm. Because they knew it wasn't legal to do it, so they wanted to do it as safely as possible, albeit not that legal. Um, so we used to do them. Um, and, we, you know, Harriers into clearways and, and whatever <laughs> else. And whilst I was watching the, um, the Formula One racing, after we put the Concorde and the Vulcan over the top and shaken all the, the rust out of the roofs of the grandstands and that, um, if you're watching it on television, it's very different to watching it out there. But actually, when it's when the airplane or the car is the other side of the track, out of sight, you can still see it on there. But which one do you look at with with Formula One racing? You know, are you yeah, following yeah, the yeah. Dutch, the Welsh, or the French, or whatever? And with airplanes, um, I think it will be good to have the big screens on the other side of the runway with in cockpit live streaming as they're doing their thing. Mm. I think that would be very good. And then the Flying Control yes. Committee would also see Definitely. whether they've butted the lines or not. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep an eye on the dials. Yes. <laughs> We've talked a lot about military, and obviously it's a military air show, but one of the things that RIAT has been, or the Air Tattoo has been well known for over the years is airliner displays and airliner formations. How, or, or what was the process and, and how easy was it getting airlines involved, obviously having to take a, a an aircraft out of out of service for it. Um, we've always had a mind that uh, for the other part of the family that isn't necessarily military orientated, it's good to have something different. Thus, the the craft fair and the other stands in the in the the, the trade area. Likewise, with aeroplanes, if you can put a, an airliner through the youngsters and the part I got about to say mum and the kids I shouldn't say that so it's the other part of the family that doesn't necessarily like fast jets they've probably been in an airliner and to see one from the outside doing its thing probably means a lot so yes it's been in my book always important to have that contrast and if you can get a joint formation 
even better. How do you get them? Blooming difficult. Um, <laughs> in the past, when we had um, the oh, what was the Hong Kong airline called? Cafe. No, it was a, a small airline with jumbo jets. Ah, it was Oasis. Um, but one of our, um, well, in fact, Paul Bowen's son used to fly them as a first okay. officer. And he got on to the owner, um, a Chinese couple, nice people, and said, could you support the flying scholarships of the disabled through flying it through the air show? Um, so they gave us a donation and they put this jumbo jet on. On another occasion, um, one of the volunteers um, who flew the Jordanian household jets and things, a chap called Richard Verrill, he was a British Airways captain. Um, and uh, he managed to persuade British Airways to hire him at mate's rates. Was it a triple seven? I think it was in the early days. Um, and he got a volunteer crew and he charged mate's passengers rates. to come in <laughs> and take a bus back to Heathrow and then took another set of passengers back out, as we used to do with the Concorde. And he donated all the income to the flying scholarships for the disabled. Um, which was a brilliant thing to do. Concord in the early days, Goodwood Travel as it was called, that's exactly what they did. Um, and that was incredibly effective, uh, especially so because lots of the local population um, bought dads and granddads flights on that. Um, because we, we, we got, they got three hits out of it. We, we got a Concord, but they would yeah, do the flight cool. in and a coach back a supersonic run out of Fairford and then a flight back having brought people in from London by bus to go back on it. So that was incredibly effective. The only time was, as you read about in Graham Hurley's book, was when British Airways wanted the Concorde back in a hurry because the other one was going tech and um, mm. I was being stubborn because I didn't want to lose it. But there's another mm. chapter that didn't actually appear in that book, <laughs> which I won't go into now. <laughs> Um, but it does make a difference, doesn't it? A nice big aeroplane mm. doing its thing. The TNT, um, were they 767s? Uh, do I mean TNT? DHL, I mean. DHL. DHL. Was it, a 757 and 767. It does make wow. a nice difference to tornadoes, much as everybody likes Tonkas. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The 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 challenge That's is it. if you get a small, slow aeroplane like an Antonov too, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's a long crowd line to keep everybody happy. <sighs> so yeah. So and in fact, Harriers hovering. You actually probably need four Harriers to hover in formation mm. and F-35s now to really make it valuable for everybody. Yeah. Oh, well, perhaps we'll see four F-35s in the future. I imagine it's the same with... Uh, with do you ever have that concern with sort of um, helicopter display teams as well then? You think, you know, because they're small machines. Yes, very much so. Very much so. In fact, um, I try when the sharks were flying the Navy with their gazelles and the grasshoppers were coming from Holland, we, tr we looked at the idea of having one team a, a third of the way in, another team a third of the way in from that <laughs> end, and then swap them over halfway through. <laughs> but it, the, the the military approvals became a bit too difficult on that one. But it would have been a good idea, you know. Yeah, yeah. and unique. 
It's very Riyadh or Iyadh. Uh, <laughs> was it very Iyadh then? Yeah. Yes, yes. You you you've got to keep you've got to keep all the crowd entertained as much as possible for most of the time. Um, I think we can probably see some of it behind you. But is there any piece of memorabilia or uh, all merchandise that you've 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 ended up with from an air tattoo over the years that has particularly meant a lot to you? Do you know? Uh, <laughs> most of my memorabilia is up in the attic. The the plaques from each year. Um, what have I got? Oh yeah. Um, that's a bit of MiG-29. <laughs> oh, wow. Not the wooden bit. The <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I don't know why I've got that, really, because it's, you know, it should be in a museum somewhere. It was quite interesting. Um, I'm part of what used to be GAPAN. It's now the Honourable Company of Air Pilots. And um, we had a outing to Martin Baker. And we went round the factory at Denham. And then... Um, the boss who was with us put us on a luxury coach and drove us down to Chalgrove and we had the most wonderful two ship display on a blue sky day of two meteors um, having had a briefing from the pilots mm. but whilst talking uh, at Denham and looking at all the ejector seats and hearing the history of them and so on you know um, this chap said I know you don't I and I said I think I know you and he used to be on the RAF's crash and smash team the uh, <laughs> Recover, aircraft recovery and transportation flight when the MiGs crashed and uh, right. he moved on and he was a, a fairly senior guy in Martin Baker now and um, he said yes we've we've got the seats here in our museum at Martin Baker at yeah, Martin Baker's <laughs> Wow! so we had a big discussion about how good they were and whatever else which was <laughs> was fun <laughs> um, memorabilia it's um yes I'm a bit of a hoarder and uh, yeah, my, both my sons said, when you pop your clogs, we're going to get another tip with it. I said, <laughs> so they said, why don't you give it all away now? So that, that's probably next thing I've got to do. Bits and bobs. Is that, should people be getting in touch with bids? Or? <laughs> yeah. I think speaking of the, the Russian mix, I've always been amazed that the parts of the airframe were stayed in the UK. I think the control column of, of one of them is in the offices at Douglas Bader House. That's right. And uh, there were two helmets um, and one of them's done a runner. I don't know where that one's gone, but we had both the helmets <laughs> signed by both the pilots. And after They signed them? Oh yeah, yeah, they signed them. Wow. Um, and uh, and <laughs> after play. Paul died, one of them, um, there was a bit of a hiatus and one of them disappeared which is very upsetting. But yes, uh, yeah, the control column's there. Um, yeah, the, the, most of the bits went to a scrapyard. The Russians didn't weren't interested in recovering them or anything. Um, surprisingly, not. Surprisingly, not. <laughs> and at, at the end of the day, they knew why it had happened. It wasn't a, an airplane malfunction. It was a human issue. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no issues of you know complex Russian double riveting or something <laughs> falling into Western hands. But um, I mean, what what not. would have been quite nice, of course, would have been to. Um, yeah, cut them into bits and uh, have an auction, but that would have been inappropriate. Yeah. We you know, we felt we couldn't do that. Mm. I don't know what the scrapyard did with them in mm. the end. Probably melted it all down. Probably cut them up and auction them off. <laughs> I I think actually, um, I, this is straight from memory, but I think the South Wales uh, Air Museum, it's in Athens, is recently opened, has the wreckage of one of them or a substantial part of it. Oh, you still see the the black and yellow colours. Oh, that's good. Oh, I, okay. I like that. Yeah. I, I think, I think. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, 
Right. So perhaps it's not not all been turned into beer cans. <laughs> the, the the big thing was that at the time when you have an accident like that, nobody takes anything. You just in case there's got to yeah, be an investigation as to why. Mm-hmm. Interesting times. What do you think the future holds for military air shows? I'm not sure what it holds. My hope is that they continue because I think it's very very important, a from a recruiting point of view, to um, share that magic of fast jets and whizzy helicopters and, and, and transporters that can do strange things to, uh, to to the youngsters but you know the taxpayer if you're paying for something you want to be able to see it and touch it and get close to it and find out you know who's enjoying it so um, I very much hope it continues I think it will I mean the, the, all the air forces are much smaller now their inventories are, are, are less in most countries anyway um, so it's going to be different it's going to shrink a little bit but I think you can still do great things with you know what is there it, it just comes to a bit of inventiveness as to how you lay things out and how you choreograph your your flying display so uh, um, aviators who run air forces love flying and they're a lot of them are show-offs so I think there's a lot of hope for us that they'll want to keep showing off their fantastic bits of hardware so I, yeah, I think the future's bright fantastic Good. we all hope so Right, well I hope that was as interesting to listen to as it was for us to yes. record it. We're very grateful to Tim for taking his time out. It's a nice sunny evening to come on the show and talk with us. You're very welcome. Uh, really fascinating insight into the air tattoo, the history of it, um, the processes behind it from obviously one of the people who was really at the heart of it for so much of its history and still continues to be so. If you want to have your own chat about the air tattoo, you can head to our forums, uh, forums.airshows.co.uk, and you can read any of our reviews of past reacts, and of course any other shows and features new interviews we've done, uh, airshows.co.uk, both of which will be linked in the description. Thank you for listening, and hopefully see you for another episode.